You're listening to Self-Publishing Journeys, the weekly podcast for all new and aspiring self-published authors. Stand by for tips, resources, hints, and practical techniques to help you on your own self-publishing journey. Meet indie authors at different stages of their writing careers and hear how they manage to get their own books published and making sales. For show notes, web links, and useful resources, please head to selfpublishingjourneys.com. Now, here's your show host, self-published author and digital marketer, Paul Teague. Hello and welcome to Self-Publishing Journeys episode number 80 for Monday the 11th of September 2017. My guest on today's show is Dave Chesson, who's best known for his Kindlepreneur blog and website. Dave is an 11-year veteran of the US Navy, but started a side hustle learning about online marketing. He created niche websites, learned about SEO and affiliate income, then made the move into self-publishing. He now supports indie authors via his Kindlepreneur blog and services, and also self-publishes books, though under a range of pen names. When we chatted for the podcast, I started by asking Dave when he first realized that there was an opportunity in self-publishing. Well, for me, I had built all these niche websites. You know, niche websites are websites that have the direct purpose of ranking really well in, in Google for something very small. I'm not going for things like lose weight. I'm going for something that's very, you know, very tiny in subject, right? And when I created these niche websites, I was ranking well in Google and I was driving all this traffic. But I wasn't making much money because I was dependent on things like AdSense and Amazon Associate. I was making like, you know, maybe 50 or 100 bucks a month from a lot of hard work. And when I was looking at these websites, I was like, you know, this is like a perfect platform where people are coming here to get the answers they want. I either need to make a lot more of these or I have to find a better product. And the truth was, was that when I started repackaging the information from my entire website into a nicely laid out, formatted, step-by-step process in a book, it actually became a wonderful product. People were going from Google with their pain point, going to the niche website, and then saying, oh, you know, I'd, I'd just rather pay like two ninety nine for this book here and, and have it all laid out for me. I'll just do that. And next thing you know, it was, it, was a, it was a big thing for me. And when I started to see that success, I started to look at Amazon a little differently. You know, Amazon is kind of like Google where people start by typing in something into a search box. And those two present what they think is what they're looking for. So when I started to use kind of my background on Google in terms of Amazon, I started to really learn a lot about how this search engine, because that's what it is, uh, decides what books go where. And when I dug even further, I was able to really help out my books. So I was not only making money from funneling people from Google, but I was also making money from people who are on Amazon looking for that same subject. It's interesting that that's, that's wind the clock back because you were in the military and something had made you want to make extra money. And often people turn to online these days. What was your personal pain point in your life at that time that made you look for a way of making money? Well, so the military had just sent me to Korea without my family. So I was going to be there for two years. Like that was without my, my two kids at the time. Now I've got three. Um, my wife, like, I mean, I was just like, wow, what am I doing? And I also asked myself too, is what is my definition of success in life? And it wasn't to be an admiral in the Navy and it wasn't to be, you know, deployed away from my family. So I realized that I was on the wrong path. And when my wife and I sat down and had this like conversation about what we were going to do, you know, what does our future look like? Uh, we decided that getting out of the military was the right thing. But the problem was we couldn't just 
jump out and be like, okay, and then pick up another nine to five job that has me traveling, right? So we started to really define what we needed to do, how much money we needed to make, and what you know, scope of work existed. Like it couldn't be another nine to five. It couldn't require me to travel. It would have to pay this much. And we started looking at those things. We realized that online marketing was an opportunity. It was something that I could do while I was in Korea. Uh, You know, it didn't require brick and mortar. It didn't require me to be up at certain times or working at certain times. It was something I could do on the side while I was still doing my military obligation. Now, I also come from an internet marketing background. That's what I started with too. And, uh, you know, I started selling uh, PDF books even before Amazon was a big thing. Uh, I used to put PDF books up for sale, put them on ClickBank. And um, effectively, in those days, I guess it was the beginning of self-publishing. Um, but you could actually <laughs> yeah. sell one for nine, $99 in those days. Did, did you ever touch any of that sort of first generation um, ebook publishing? No, I didn't actually. Um, At the time, I think that was still pretty prevalent while I was looking into this. But for me, I kind of liked going through Amazon, even if I could have made more with ClickBank. And the reason is, is that when you come to a niche website, there's no need to know who the person is or, or, you know, what kind of guarantees they have and everything like that. Because if they send you to Amazon, I mean, you trust Amazon. You, you'll purchase the book there. You know that if you don't like the book, you can get a return. You know you know that they're not going to steal all your money. So for me, it was like, hey, you know what? Amazon is earning their, legit- or their money by making my sale legitimate. So I just stuck with that. Yeah, and when I was in an internet marketer, you see, I had to join forces. They used to call it joint venture partners. I used to have to find people with big email lists to send targeted right. traffic to my offer. And of course, what you've got with Amazon is zillions of people uh, who, who you, as you say, um, put a keyword into the search box and they find your product. So it flips it on its head in many respects, doesn't it? Absolutely. You know, and, and like I said, with I was sending traffic to Amazon to purchase the book. Amazon was also sending traffic to purchase the book. It was a wonderful relationship that we had. So, so what if Amazon's taken 30%? They, they deserve it. I made, uh, I made money because of their effort as well. So it was cool with me. I kind of just stuck with it, and I, I'm very happy I did. Now, I first got involved in Amazon. Uh, I heard that it was the big sort of gold rush. And um, I, I'm embarrassed almost to admit it, that I put a couple of PLR books on originally. Do you remember PLR, the big thing in, in internet marketing in those days? So it, uh, it's private label rights. It's a book that somebody else has written, usually in a foreign country, and you get the licensed rights to put your name on it. So I, I listed t- uh, two or three books on Amazon. They sat there for a little while. I didn't make any money. And uh, Amazon actually pulled them in the end because they got wise to internet marketers' tricks. That That's my embarrassing past. When, when you joined Amazon, what was the market like then? Were there many people on board? Or was it early days then? Well, it was a little past the gold rush. I mean, the gold rush was still being talked about, but uh, my rule of thumb in business is when everybody is is talking about it, usually means that it's past its prime, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I try to experiment as much as possible, and that's something that I put into Kindlepreneur.com is I'm always trying something new so that I am one of the like the first people to enjoy that that opening, right? But with um, with Kindle, on the other hand, it wasn't so much that that even even if I was at the peak. It's not about when you're there. It's whether or not you can have a competitive advantage. I, you know, it could be on a downturn, but with competitive advantage, you can still beat the market. 
And competitive advantage comes from mastering a skill or focusing on one particular marketing effort and driving that hard. And for me, that started off as just being ranking websites really good in Google, funneling people from Google, and straight to my books. So what happened by doing that is that even when I had competitors show up on Amazon, Amazon still saw that not only did I have more people going to my book sales page, but that also those people were preconditioned, as in they had kind of decided already they wanted to buy this book. So Amazon also sees high conversions. So no matter what other competitors did, even when it was like, oh, man, this is going to be awesome, you know, write a book, we're going to make money. Like I still beat them because I was always converting better. I was always proving to the Amazon search engine that I was the better bet to make Amazon more money. And let's face it. When it comes down to gaming or figuring out Amazon, it all comes down to what makes Amazon more money. Okay, so let's start from the beginning with your experience on Amazon, because you'd obviously struggled with the AdSense, AdWords kind of thing. That that hadn't worked. Well, it had worked for you because you'd made about $100 a month, you were saying. So it was working yeah, in a very, website, yeah. Yeah, very, very small way. So what was the first thing you did on Amazon and how quick was it to get some traction for you? Well, I won't give the specifics on the on the niche subject because uh, the beautiful thing about these is that they're still um, high demand, low competition. But I can start to kind of needle and, and give you more information. The first website that I, I saw the success was, was about language learning, actually. Um, I did come from a language learning background. I was uh, a military diplomat, actually. That's why they sent me to Korea. Uh, but I'm a China specialist, so... I didn't get to use the Chinese in Korea. That was another part of the whole, like, man, what am I doing? I just I just became fluent in Mandarin Chinese, and I'm, like, stuck on a Korean warship, and nobody speaks English. This is awesome. But anyways, that's another story. So I I learned I had excelled in mastering a, a very difficult language, and it, actually it was only a year and a half, and it took me to have a about the same level of conversation that we're having right now uh, with a little bit of whoopses on the uh, grammar. But so I built this kind of niche website around a particular thing in the language industry. And I was driving all these people through, uh, through Google. And I was hoping that maybe they would click on some headphones that would help them with their language learning, or maybe they would, you know, buy the Pimsleur, you know, CD program or something of that magnitude. Uh, and again, like that, that website, I think only was bringing in like $25 a month in AdSense and you know maybe $10 a month in Google AdWords. And it was a lot of work to do this, right? Um, cre- not only creating a website and creating content, but then convincing Amazon or Google that this is the best to put up number one for all these particular terms. So after a while, I was like, you know, look, this whole website's really good about teaching people about this certain aspect. Let me just kind of compile all the pages so that they don't have to click through and figure out what page to read next and so forth and put it into one book and then advertise the book inside of the content. So when somebody goes to Google and they type this thing, they find this article, they're reading, they're like, oh, man, that's good. You know, this is a really deep subject. I wish there was, oh, there's a book on this. Cool. And they'll click and then they'll go to Amazon and hopefully by that point, they're like, you know what? This writer's been awesome. I'm just going to keep with this book instead of looking at my competitors and next thing you know, it's a bestseller. And the best part is it's a continuous bestseller. So that first book, I'm not going to lie, I think has been a bestseller like four out of seven days every for the past like four years. And I'm only putting those other three days to be more accurate. But yeah, pretty much a continuous bestseller. So 
And that's because of the funnel traffic. Okay. So are you then, when you're using these books, are you still doing the standalone website? Are you still playing the Google game as well? I do um, for for a lot of the books. See, I got really hard into or hardcore into building a lot of niche websites. I kind of like the fact that I have different assets. And let's face it, a niche website compared with a book has been a wonderful asset. Um, it makes a certain amount of money every month, and that's great. Uh, but then there's it, it also comes down to a point where when you have built yourself as an authority, okay, it's a lot easier to make sales. So back when I was doing these niche websites, every one of them had a pen name, okay? And I was starting from, from like square one every time. No name person, you know, uh, teaching about a subject and ultimately convincing people to buy their book. But, you know, if you're like Pat Flynn, you know, or you're this, uh, you know, you're Ted Decker, you're somebody very famous, you know, well-known for your great writing, your great knowledge in the subject, You've probably got a wonderful email list. You've probably got, you know, raving fans that even if your book was titled How I Put My Pants On One Leg at a Time, you know, <laughs> let's face it, a lot of people would buy it. And that person, you know, Pat Flynn would probably sell more books than you and me together if he just wrote that book and was just like, hey, just buy this. It's crap, but buy it. Like, he would probably make a lot of sales. So there's been a transition there as well. Now I'm not writing crap you know, one leg at a time <laughs> sucks, but you get my point. So I think it's a wonderful journey for self-publishers. You know, when you're not this well-known authority, when you don't have a giant email list or you have, you know, these huge skills or something like that, that you write books for a market and you build yourself up that way, but you look at the long-term marketing and you start to plan for having that following. So it's like a, a you know, kind of a journey. For, for authors. And I think the ones that approach it that way will see that long-term continuous success. A couple of things about the niche sites then. Uh, I knew people who did niche sites in the days where they used to do what's called spinning content. So they used to get pre-written <laughs> content. They used to spin the words around and they were barely, barely readable. And they'd put maybe 10 of these articles on a page. They'd buy a domain name that had the keyword in it. And, and then Google got wise to all of this and it slapped them and a lot of people started losing a lot of money. So when you're building a niche website, you can't get away with that nowadays. You've got to, you know, Google wants meaningful quality content. It's got to be on a mobile site. All these things we have to do nowadays because Google's so clever. So how much content are you putting into those niche sites? Well, I'm very lucky because when I first came in, um, it was before Google started slapping the spinners, right? But it was just after Google started to oh, – it's one of those animal animal bands yeah, like Panda, uh, or, Panda or Hummingbird. <laughs> I, I think it was Panda. I think it was like Panda 2.0. Um, and they started slapping people for over-optimization. So when I came into the industry, there was a lot of people that were like, ah, SEO is evil. Don't do it. You're, Google's going to beat you over the head. And so I was like, eh, well, well, okay, I'm just going to write content with a focus. Let's, let's, let's be uh, smart about this. And so I didn't do any spinners and I'm very happy that I didn't. But a lot of it too was, is that I didn't, you know, a lot of people were doing the spinners. were just trying to, Oh, I just want to rank for this one word. I still had a desire to write about it. Like we talked about on the language. I had a background. I had my own little things that I had learned that I kind of wanted to put out into the world. And so my content was legitimately written. But it was written through the eyes of an SEOer that knows how to talk to a, well, let's call it the Google algorithm, right? And so after all those other guys got slapped, that actually helped me out a lot. Um, I wasn't really having a problem ranking at that point at all. 
So it's, I've been very fortunate with SEO because I really took uh, uh, um, a Google-friendly path, and I'm not really worried about Google being like, oh, Dave Chesson, whack, you're done. Uh, nope. So I used a, a product called Site Build It, which was all about building niche sites in a very sensible uh, way. And what I learned from using Site Build It for a year, I did exactly the same thing as you. you know, I was AdSense income. I was earning as little as you were with AdSense, exactly the same principle that you did. And a lot of work also, <laughs> I hasten to add, <laughs> and not very much return. Um, but what I kind of learned from that and still take with me is that what you've got to do is you've got to be mindful of keywords, of course. But basically, if you write great content for human readers, you can't really go far wrong. Would you agree with that? I agree. But here's one of my favorite things to SEO, and it also works for book writing too. If you do your research right, Okay, if you're able to look and find out what people are actually typing into Google or in Amazon, okay, then you can start to find out exactly what it is they want. All right, not just the big subject, but sometimes you find out what things you should absolutely include in this article so that you can make a much better article. Okay, and that that's something Google loves. Google doesn't want to send somebody like if it's how to feed a cat, okay. They don't want to send someone to an article that's just about how to feed a cat. They kind of want to talk about all the other things, too. They want to send them to the article that not only says the steps for how to feed a cat, but how to choose the right cat food and anything else Google thinks would be something that would be a part of a good article. So if you do your research, you'll find out, well, shoot, people are asking, hey, what's the best cat food? Oh, by the way, there's these two cat foods everybody's thinking about. Let's compare the two cat foods. You know, What time of the day should we feed the cat? Um, these are things that Google will tell us, and that makes a much better better article. Well, the same thing goes for our books, right? Um, I'm going to give you a prime example of where this really plays in, especially keywords in Google or excuse me, in Amazon can make a better book or make it so that a new author can really gain, you know, a foothold in something that might seem competitive. Do you remember a couple of years ago where like Evernote was like the rage? There were a lot of people writing Evernote books. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. I do. Yeah. I was thinking of doing them myself too. Yeah, and, and, you know, everybody was loving it. People were going, uh, there was like hundreds of books on how, how to do Evernote. Well, the truth is, is that if you did your research, now back then, it's, it's changed a lot. And um, this is a good example to give because when Evernote changed their paid uh, structure, so now it's not exactly free, There's, they're pushing the whole pay them. The amount of searches on Amazon for Evernote dropped pretty quickly. But back then, though, if you did your research, you would find out that there was a significant number of people on Amazon that weren't just typing in Evernote, but they were typing things like Evernote for teachers, Evernote for students, Evernote for lawyers, Evernote for project managers. So for some of us who might not be able to beat the 1,000 other books on how to use Evernote, to create a book that is addressed straight for that particular person means that you'll probably get the sale every time that person types that in. Why? Because if you're looking for a book on how to, you know, Evernote for project managers, and there's a book called that and no other book called that, you probably found the one you're looking for, right? Yeah. Um, and so we can start to use that to be found inside a crowded, you know, market. But the other thing, too, though, is, is that you may find that a lot of people are searching for something else inside of your story. Another great example is Jeff Goins. He wrote, um, you know this wonderful book about starving artists. And the purpose of the book is to teach people that, you know, you don't have to be a starving artisan to succeed. 
But when we did the keyword research for his book uh, before he launched, we found out that a significant amount of people on Amazon weren't typing how to sell art. They were typing how to sell art online. That was a big one. There was more people typing that full sentence than the shorter sentence. And so I was, you know, the thing I said to Jeff was, Jeff, have you addressed how to sell art online? Or are you just talking about, you know, the, the emotional part to, 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 to art? And he's like, no, you know, like, like that's a really good point. And what we ended up doing was that instead of changing his book, because we're a little late at the game there, we were able to put together a checklist that people could download. Okay, um, so that they could access all of the links, you know, to these to these online art selling markets and some good information about each one and how to get started. And that right there, you know, would turn into a phenomenal uh, subscription base. Right. People buy his book. They're like, oh, man, I want that checklist because we proved people were looking for that. And uh, voila, he's got a high conversion. Same thing with uh, Pat Flynn. You know, Pat Flynn uh, did his book. Um, Will it fly? And he put in kind of this particular he, – he looked at the data, and he saw that people were needing videos for this sort of thing, how to test their, their idea. So he created a full-blown course. He put a link in there, and you know that 33% of all people that bought his book signed up for his email list wow, so they could fun. get that course. Mm, yeah. So it's not just finding the idea of the book you're going to write. It's about finding what people truly want and how you can best serve them so it can help you to write a better book or to get those more email subscriptions. So having written that first book and out the gate you've created a bestseller, was it just a case of rinse and repeat after that? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. And is that is that what you do? That 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 is your writing career, you just rinse and repeat. It was, yeah. Uh for me now it's kind of I've been focusing on experimenting. I've been spending a lot more time uh putting a lot of those books. And by the way, that's one of the, the cool things I love about, you know, not making the name uh out there is that I'm able to experiment with my own books now and not use the fame that I've gotten from Kindlepreneur. So with Kindlepreneur, you know, we have like over a hundred thousand readers per month on the website. And if it was known that this book is this, one could easily say, Hey, the guy's selling only because, you know, uh, he's Dave Chesson and that he's using his email list or yada, yada, but I'm not. So it allows me to have untainted results as I try to experiment like, okay, if I do this, how does Amazon respond to that? Okay, let's put this book through, you know, AMS and test these things out and stuff like that. So it's actually been really cool to have that opportunity. Yeah. And this is the question that I wanted to ask you when I read all your content online. My, my big question is you say you're a writer, but what are your books? What have you written? And, and and so I can appreciate the reason for not telling us what the books are, but sometimes it's a little bit frustrating, you know, not to be able to see one and in action. Yeah, you know, and when I started Kindlepreneur, I really thought that was going to be something a lot of people are going to get after me about or, you know, call them, calling me out. And, and um, the truth is it really never happens. And a lot of it's because, you know, you just read one Kindlepreneur article and you know that the guy's written a book. Um, you know, it's, we, we go as in-depth as possible. Uh, my goal with every article is to create actionable steps. Everything that you read there is supposed to be something that, that not only teaches you the strategy but gives you the tactics inside of it to turn around and get results. Um, so, you know, just think of me as like kind of a test, uh, test crash dummy, you know, on this. But then you see um, Kindlepreneur, you've got some great content on there. It, it, as you say, it's fabulous. It's very clear, very actionable steps, really informative stuff, just what self-publishers want. There's a book in there, isn't there, under Dave Chesson's name? 
Is it really? Yeah, it's a Michael Hyatt style book. Uh, you know, under your name, I would say. Huh. <laughs> but you know, as the branded book, <laughs> are you not going to do that at some point? No, you know, because the fact of the matter was, I created Kindlepreneur to be free. I think that there are a lot of great books on marketing that are out there. Matter of fact, I just wrote an article about the top uh, books that book marketers should read. Um, and I, I just didn't want to create another one. I feel as though, you know, having built Kindlepreneur, I could just repackage that content, but just get it for free. Uh, let me help you guys out. We'll be creating an article very soon that actually came from a lot of fans kind of asking for this. And it's going to be a start here page. And in truth, what it's going to be is like a linkable table of contents. Like I'm going to phase out everything, you know, that a new author would go through all the way to after launching their book. And each section is going to comprise of articles that explain something very important inside that phase. So you can click on it and some of the articles are going to be mine. Some of the articles are going to be of other people that I think totally nailed the subject and, you know, um, and, and so, yeah, one could maybe take all that information and put into a book, but I just figured it'd be best to make it free. Fair enough. <laughs> and uh, then when you did your sites, when you started to self-publish, when did you become um, not obviously an anonymous author, um, having your own private success? When did Kindlepreneur come on the scene and you began to be recognized for what you were actually doing? Well, so, you know, we talked about niche websites and Kindlepreneur is definitely an authority website. And that, that was a learning experience for me. Um, if anybody out there saying to themselves they want to create an authority website, the first thing I'm going to tell you right away is you need to do it for at least a year before you're going to see any fruits of your labor come back at you. OK, if you're hoping for success to be seen in six months, just don't start it uh, with Kindlepreneur. I started that uh, two and a half years ago, I think. And. I remember like the first year or so, really nothing much happening. Granted, I had SEO background, so I had an ability to drive traffic, but it wasn't much. Um, and But I just stuck with it. And I knew what the identity and the purpose of Kindlepreneur was supposed to be. I knew the scope in which to write, and we just kept doing it. And over time, it just continues to grow and grow. Um, so my, my again, my recommendation out there is if you're starting an authority website, you stick to it. You can do it. One of the things that always strikes me about your site and your articles, uh, number one is you have wonderful bespoke graphics. So you've got somebody doing these beautiful graphics for you. Um, but also... No, no, that's me. Is, is it really? I'm, a, I'm just, uh, you know, it's funny. So I was a nuclear engineer in the military, so I've got kind of that numbers brain. But I, the other true half of me is all about art and design. So that's one of the things I love most about this business is sometimes I just kind of get to veg out and play around with... with uh, with Photoshop. And so that that's actually my design. I don't even hire somebody out because that's my favorite part. <laughs> well, I'm really impressed because I, I love your sort of style. I think the whole branding of the site is, is wonderful. I just assumed you'd got somebody on Fiverr or something who knocked these out for you. But I'm very impressed. Congratulations. They're brilliant. Thank you. <laughs> that's a, we've learned something today. I didn't know that at all. And <laughs> um, the other thing is, when I look at an article, you know, the average article that you've written, there is an immense amount of work in there. Um, you know, you, you do a lot of work um, looking at the, the the book promo sites, listening to podcasts, things like that. You know, it takes a lot of time. Are you doing this all yourself? I am. Yeah. Well, so I've started to let's see. This past August, right? That's so August. So a year ago from. T from now, right? I was still in the military, but I just got out of the military. I was able to finally meet my goal 
of making more than enough money to support my family and to be able to get out. And so I've been in Franklin, Tennessee now, home with my family for a year now, and it's just been absolutely wonderful. But the other thing, too, is that I've started to hire on people onto my team. And that's been something wonderful for me to learn and kind of grow as a leader in that respect. But more importantly was to make sure that the quality that we've provided in Kindlepreneur continues but that people who are better in other areas tackle those things so that it can just get better. Uh, so that's one of our focuses that we've really been driving and it's really been wonderful. I think that what you uh, did, we talked about people doing these cheapo sites that didn't really have any value. And actually the equity in your site is in the immense amount of value. I think that you create, I mean, just you know, one article alone, frankly, in the, in the, old, in the bad old days of internet marketing, I'm looking at your um, you know, free Amazon book promotion sites at the moment, for instance. You could have turned that into an ebook and sold that for $99 in the old days. There's so much information uh, in it. This presumably is part of your strategy, you know, create a great go-to site with fantastic information. You know, it's funny you brought that up. The uh, the one, I said there's two times that somebody's actually called me out on not writing a book. And one of those times was somebody who got really mad at me. And I, I, I apologize. I didn't mean to do this. Um, they were posting on Facebook about their book on 99... Uh, book promotion sites. It was it was a book just about ninety nine promotion sites, and it was nine ninety nine. And I, the way he wrote it was kind of sounding like, "Hey, look at this book! It's really awesome." I didn't realize it was his, and so I was like, "Oh, well, just save yourself and have the hundred and twenty seven promotion sites right here." Oh man, that guy got so mad at me, and and I I I apologize because I didn't re I didn't intend to do that. I wasn't trying to undercut him, um, but yeah, he turned to like totally. You know, like, I don't see your books, you're, you're illegitimate, you know, like, yada, yada. And I was like, okay, but a lot of people are like, uh, but this is still good information. Thanks for the link. You know, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, my bad. But, you know, you were saying about the content. I'll give you a great example. Uh, we did, uh, well, I did at the time, uh, an article on Quora, like how to use Quora to sell more books. That article took me seven months to write. And the reason being was that Quora was a little bit new. I'd, I'd seen a lot of success with it, and I was really jazzed about what I saw. Uh, I think at one point I had 110,000 people read my writing, and it had accounted for like 10,000 visitors to my website. And so I was like, whoa, look at all this. However, though, I didn't want to just publish this thing and give people the idea that it was the magic bullet that solves all problems. What I wanted to do was I wanted to stop all of my efforts and just see what happens. If I stop putting time into Quora, would I still be making sales three months down the road? So I held off on publishing the article and I waited and waited. And let me tell you, it dropped like a rock. It was, it was like, whoa. And the way that I look at Quora is it's a phenomenal way to make book sales. However, though, it's like blowing air into a balloon that has a hole in it. If you stop blowing, the balloon will completely deflate and you start at square zero. Okay. But if you keep blowing and blowing and blowing, it can provide results. And I thought that, that was the most complete article because I didn't just declare the success, you know, but I wanted to see, you know, can I let my success fail? And the answer was, yeah. So the real moral of that story is it's a great tactic. It can make book sales, but you have to be prepared to devote a certain amount of time every day to this thing to see the results that you want. That relates to my next question. One of the painful lessons I've learned on my internet marketing journey is to be aware of building a whole business on a third party platform. So I built a couple of years ago a Facebook software and um, it was based, I don't know whether you remember this, on the old um, 
you, you could have landing pages on Facebook and it was built on a marketing principle on there. And then um, we built the software and then Facebook announced, uh, well, they didn't announce it, they just introduced it. They increased the width and then they did all sorts of strange things without telling the developers. And I learned very quickly that, you know, you've got to be beware of building on a third party platform because you've no control of the product, no control over everything. They just dictate everything uh, to you. So it's interesting here that you're building on you're building on Amazon predominantly, but you're also keeping those sites, those niche sites going. Is that is that part of the strategy? Yeah, I'm a strong believer of, you know, put eggs in different baskets, but I'm also a stronger believer of making sure those baskets are in the same room. Um, why make it harder as a business or as someone working online that has to run around in different sectors? So in truth, like right now, um, yeah, I try not to depend on Amazon solely, so I'm working on other things, but it's still within the writing realm. Um, so put eggs in different baskets, but make sure you keep those baskets in the same room so you can save yourself a breath or two. And the other thing I have to ask you about that, of course, that is email marketing, because when you have an email marketing list, you own the asset, the names and addresses of the, the customers, and the prospects. When, when did you start email marketing? Were you on that from day one or were you late to it? <laughs> no, I was so late to it. Oh, my Lord. So even Pat Flynn said his biggest regret was he didn't start email soon enough. And I'm so, I remember listening to that being like, well, I'll start that whenever. And I kept putting it off. I'm not going to lie. I only started email like two years ago. Uh, that may sound like a long time ago, but let me tell you, somebody who's been in this game for five years, I lost three years worth of email and it's absolutely true how, how incredible email is. But I think for me though, I always felt uncomfortable sending email. I wanted to write something that even if you didn't want to read the article that I wrote that I'm talking about in the email, at least it was either entertaining or that it provided enough information that it was worthwhile I, I just, I don't know. It's a personal hangup of mine, and I, I feel terrible. Like, thank you for the opportunity to put something proactively in your inbox. Um, you know, I'm going to make sure I'm going to do my darndest to make sure it's worth it. So I when I go to write an email now, uh, I'm not going to give you a little inside story. I, I have a picture of a giant NFL football stadium, okay? And it's kind of half full. We'll call it like the Jacksonville Jaguars or something because they can barely fill their, their arena. But anyways, so I look at it and I say to myself, when I send this email out, it's going to be like I'm standing and giving a speech to this stadium. And I think about that. And let me tell you, I don't whip something together. <laughs> it takes me forever to write that bad boy. Um, so, yeah, I, I've used fear, but I think it's also helped me as a writer to find out more about how to feel better about invading somebody's inbox. What are you using for email? Are you into Infusionsoft now? Are you still using something fairly, fairly basic? Oh, Lord, no. Uh, Confusionsoft? Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I'm actually, I'm truly in love with uh, GetResponse. And what's funny is, is that I started with GetResponse, but I was like, eh, I'm just going to stick with this. But about February or March, they created this thing called the flow, um, you know, flow charts. Basically, it's everything that drip and convert kit promote. But I get it at like Aweber prices. So I think a, uh, get response is the perfect one for beginners who even transfer into like big names. And I, I'm just I'm just stuck with that one. So I love it. 
it's so refreshing to hear somebody say that because I've used GetResponse for years as an internet marketer. Um, you know, they could take the the punishment that an internet marketing list gets. I've recently yep. just, I've literally just moved out of GetResponse uh, when my renewal, yeah, uh, into MailerLite, would you believe, which also has uh, automations. And I th- I felt that the pricing was better. And there were also some things in GetResponse um, that I wasn't using the landing pages. Probably like you, I can code the sites myself. Uh, yeah. So don't, don't need the landing pages. Um, and I, what was the other thing? Oh, the webinars. Um, I'd, I'd upgraded for the webinars and they weren't really developing that product very much. So I, I made the hop this year to MailerLite, interestingly, after years. Uh, and I still would recommend GetResponse too, but it was really just on pricing that I went for for uh, MailerLite. But it's so good to hear well, somebody recommend it too, because it is a good, it really is a good service, isn't it? Actually, I love the fact that you brought up MailerLite. Uh, about a couple months ago, they emailed me trying to, you know, get me to to look into it. And I kind of was like, ah, I got too much going on right now. Sorry, you know. And then finally I sat down and I looked at it. And I really think that that's like probably the best one for a brand new author who doesn't have – because I think they have that free, right? That you can do it free and still do autoresponders to a certain number of contacts. Yeah, it was really interesting like, because – but, you know, uh, MailChimp really didn't was. have it, did they? MailChimp didn't have automations. MailerLite came that's in right. with 1,000 subscribers and automations for free. And then very yes. quickly MailChimp came in because I think they wouldn't have survived if they hadn't. Oh, did MailChimp change it that you can now automate? Yeah, for free, the free accounts you can now uh, automate. Mm. Well, good job, MailerLite. You guys get my my absolute admiration and respect for coming in, challenging the system. And it, at that point, it, now authors benefit the most. If I were doing a course on on uh, you know email or on building your author website, I'm not going to lie. I would say, look, if you don't have a lot of income coming in, MailerLite is perfect you know it will at least get you going um but when it came to you know having products beyond just a book or so i really like the sequencing the tagging um the automation that the new flow system on get response does so yeah that's a that's a great though. I love you brought that up. Yeah, it's good stuff. So uh, you're into get response. You can tell you come from an internet marketing background because a lot of people, a lot of authors, never heard of it, which is interesting. Um, yeah. and, and I've been recommending it for years. Um, so the other thing with an internet marketing background is that, uh, like me, I'm sure you'll be using affiliate links in your marketing. I talk to a lot of um, of authors, and this is not on their radar at all. They don't know anything about affiliate marketing, but it's a great way of increasing the income from the day job, if you want to call it that. Yeah, it really is. Um, affiliate links give, you know, one of the mistakes that people make about saying the word affiliate link is it kind of has a negative connotation like, oh, affiliate marketers, you know, like, ah, darn those guys. But what I think of it is it's more like a venture. See, somebody's created either a course or they've created software. And we have come into an agreement that if I convince somebody that the software course is great and they click the link, that, you know, that person has decided that if the person buys, I get 50%. Now, for me, that's wonderful if I have no intentions of creating that course, right? I, but I tell you this is that the one thing I recommend to people is that if they do get into affiliate marketing, the, the greatest thing for you is to make sure you truly love it, you know? Like, I won't recommend something that I don't absolutely love. And that way, even if somebody's like, I tried it, it didn't work. In in my mind, I'm like, I'm I'm sorry to hear that. You know, I think there might have been some reasons for that. But, you know, we sleep much better when we know that we're recommending the best out there. And in truth, when you feel that way about that product and you're telling your people about it, your fans or readers, then you're doing them a favor. 
And more importantly, you just have a business venture with someone. I, I absolutely agree with that because this is one of the reasons I got out of online marketing because I was yep. working with joint venture partners <laughs> and, and you suck with the devil when you work with joint venture partners um, when you rely on them for your traffic because you're promoting crap, basically. Uh, that, yeah. you, that you don't, and, and I've promoted crap in my past that I didn't even know what it was, frankly, and made money from it. Now, when I moved into writing now, Absolutely. I totally agree with what you say. I only ever recommend things that I use and love. And if I don't like them anymore, and here's an example of this. I think you still use HostGator as one of your recommended hosting services. I used them for years and um, have gone off them and moved into SiteGround hosting now. So whereas um, I've recommended HostGator for years, at the point at which I no longer was getting on with the service, I I stopped recommending it. And I think that's that's, you've absolutely, if you're going to be an affiliate marketer, you've got to stick to that. I feel a lot more comfortable doing that now too. It sits better, doesn't it, with you? Most definitely. And, you know, we're... When I used to work for Apple as a salesman, I found that I did the most, the, the best sales because I fell in love with the product. And so when I'm talking about the product, it's love that's coming out as I, as I talk about it. When I was talking about something I didn't agree, like they had the app, uh, not Apple Care, they had this other program that I was like, meh, I didn't sell any of those because somebody would be like, oh, what about this? I'm like, well, yeah, you can do that. <laughs> like, okay, but what about time capsule? Oh my goodness, this thing's a lifesaver, okay? It saved me twice because my computer, well, let's just say wine and computers don't mix. <laughs> and when that happened, I didn't lose everything. So um, I highly recommend this one. Like, which one do you think made you decide to want to buy though? Well, you yeah, can do this or oh my goodness, <laughs> right? Yeah, absolutely. You've got to sell it from conviction, haven't you? I think. Most definitely. And it, it, there's a, it, it's really good to feel like, you know, that you have a grasp on that. One of the articles that I wrote for Kindlepreneur was the best self-publishing courses, right? And the thing was, there are a lot of self-publishing courses out there. And I had people always asking me, hey, you know, what's the, what's the best one that, for me? And I was, you know, I'm not going to lie. At the time, I was like, I really don't know. I didn't have the article yet. But I was like, you know, I should just sit down and take like four or five of the most well-known ones out there. And then just compare them. At least there's one way for people to see. But more importantly, I could say, well, when I took that, this is what I saw. This is who I think this course is for. And that just made me much happier as a person to be able to do that and to speak with conviction and to give advice based off of that person and their needs and my experience with the courses. Now, one of the things we haven't tackled yet is that you're very much to do with keywords and niches and things like that. But I'm assuming that this doesn't really work with for fiction writers. Well, it does and it doesn't. Actually, keywords uh, for fiction, the strategy that you use for that is a lot different than you do with nonfiction. So nonfiction is about pain points, right? It's a, as I'm sitting at the search bar and I'm trying to think of, oh, man, how do I cure this lower back pain? This, it's really sharp. Okay, cure sharp lower back pain right that's how we find the book that we're looking for okay in fiction we have something that signifies the type of book we're looking for uh i've got this great article if you type into google uh fiction kindle keywords okay or just fiction keywords i think it comes up number one but you can check out exactly how i did a case study with a couple of authors and was able to show how search traffic works for fiction. And one of the key things for us here is that, you know, the word science fiction, right? Somebody who types in science fiction into Amazon, they got no idea what they're looking for because we all know that science fiction is such a broad word. Now, for someone like me, 
I know that the real type of science fiction I like is sci-fi military. And so I'll type in sci-fi military and check out what's going on. But that's a little more broad, okay? Another way to describe the type of science fiction military books that I like is space marines. Because if somebody uses the word space marines, okay, uh, they're talking about big war in space, probably fighting bugs or something, you know, and grunt, grunt, shoot them up. And that is the kind of book that I want. So if I was writing a sci-fi military book, but I know that there are a lot of people typing in space marines, then I can easily make sure that my book exemplifies the word space marines and convinces the over 2,000 people per month that type in that exact phrase for a book uh, that my book is the best. And when those people say, oh, man, this looks like the bomb of all space marines books, Amazon will then say, hey, you know, we know that space marines is connected to sci-fi military. Let's go ahead and show this for sci-fi military. And they start to spread it out and see how well my book sells in the other areas because let's face it. What do we say? What makes Amazon the most money is how Amazon truly operates. And they will start to spread your book, and you'll start seeing it in other places. So in truth, using that type of tactic, you can truly get your foot in the door with a hardcore set of fans that will help to grow you out. And so you can check how, how I did that, the numbers I found. I went fantasy as well uh, in the article. So definitely check that out. So the aspiration as a fiction author is for your name to be the keyword, like J.K. Rowling, for instance, is a keyword. <laughs> you would hope, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's the dream, isn't it, presumably? Well, yeah. It, the, when you start off, you could have the greatest book in the world, but you got to get discovered, right? And once you get discovered, people will then read your content. And if your content is great, as in your book, then things will start to grow. But it all comes down to that discovery. Even J.K. Rowling almost failed at discovery when she wrote the biggest money-making book in all history, right? Harry Potter, her agent sent it to over, I think it was like 15 or 18. I can't remember, uh, editors, publishing editors, and every one of them rejected it. I mean, here they have the greatest book ever. And they're all like, nah, nah. I think one of them even said like, cause it was like Joanna. Um, she's like, I'm sorry, but nobody's gonna buy a book from, uh, wizards written by a lady. And that, that is that is true. You can look it up. And so that's why she switched her name to J.K. Rowling. Still didn't help her out. So finally, her agent, right, he calls in a favor with one. And he's like, look, dude, I'm calling in the favor. You need to check this book out, please. So the guy's like, all right, fine, fine. Send it over. What does he do? He doesn't read it. He hands it to his 12-year-old daughter and says, here, you read it. All right. And he gave her the first chapter. She comes back like one hour later. She's like, oh, my goodness. Do you have chapter two? And he was like, wait, what? Sure enough, boom, multi-billion dollar company created thanks to that faux pas. So even if you have the greatest book, you may fail if you can't get discovered. What do your working days look like now, Dave? Are you, are you, are you still producing books for Amazon? I do. Yeah. So I like to do a spread. Um, I'm a morning person. I love to get up at 4am. I know a lot of people are like, Whoa. Uh, but I do love my coffee too. And I'd like to get my writing done in the morning. A lot of times it's either on a new Kindlepreneur uh, article, but you know, I also have some books. Sometimes I write script uh, for videos that I produce or for courses. Um, but I get my, my writing done in the morning and then I focus on any project based or uh, I always make time to take the kids the school or to the park because let's face it uh the real reason for doing all of this was so that i could be home with them so i don't want to like okay i'm home but now i'm stuffed with work so 
Absolutely, yeah. And then uh, you're also using, you've got a free Amazon Ads course um, on your site too. Um, how, how are they working, Amazon Ads? How, how are you getting on with those? Well, Amazon Ads is like the easiest and cheapest way for people to, to at least get discovered, okay? So Amazon Ads are where you basically say, look, Amazon, okay, just just show my book, please. Just I want you to show my book anytime people type in these particular words. And if somebody clicks on my book, I'll pay you for that. I'll pay you like 20 cents. Amazon's like, sweet. Okay, cool. So right there, you can make sure that your book will be seen by people, right? I mean, and not just people, people who are searching for their next book. Uh, talk about easy. However, though, where it starts to get complicated is there are a lot of people who will do these ads, but they'll only do it for a couple of keywords or they'll make a whole bunch of these mistakes and they won't see the success that comes with it. So I created this whole free course and it's not one of those like three videos to my next paid course. Um, but it was just everything that I think people need to know to get started and get rolling with their AMS ads. And hopefully, you know, they won't see those pitfalls. But yeah, to anybody who's saying to themselves, I've got a great book, and if only people would just see it, uh, I think I would do great. I really think that's my number one recommendation to you. And do you think these things can get oversaturated? I mean, I, I did the um, the Mark Dawson uh, Facebook ads course, and we know a lot of people had success with that. And then people move into Amazon ads. Do, do these things get saturated, or is Amazon big enough to, to take the traffic? They can, but the last section of my free course is about how do you keep the machine going, okay? And I, I say it in the beginning, and I say it at the end. Um, Amazon ads is not something that you set and forget. You don't just go and set up your first ad system, and then, like, boom, money on demand comes pouring in. It re I tell people that you should honestly give about an hour every other day to this, and it's about rejuvenating, checking, changing, you know, these other things. And that will keep it fresh. And you know what? That right there already excludes you and puts you in the top 5% because 95% of the people doing Amazon ads just set it once and then they complain like when a week later they're not making as much money as they did. So your competitive advantage is sticking with it and finding, you know, and keeping it fresh. And have you done the Facebook ads thing? I don't think I, I, I'm not sure whether I've read anything about you on Facebook. You know, I, I love Facebook, and I'm not going to lie. As I start to write my first ever sci-fi military book, and yeah, you guys know which uh, keyword I'm going after, um, I think that it's absolutely wonderful to kind of foster um, you know, fans and a reader base. But the key that a lot of people see is you can get people on Facebook to click and sign up for your email list. I don't think that's the hard part. I think that's the easy part. It's knowing what to do with them and how to turn them from I signed up for this free thing into I, I've now clicked to go buy something. I think that's the part where people really run into problems. Um, and we've tackled a little bit in some of the content. But the truth is, is that that that's 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 probably a whole course right there and um, maybe something that we'll try to create for people later. But, uh, yeah, I, I think Facebook is a wonderful skill and I think it can still provide but I think a lot of authors aren't prepared for the afterwards. You know, it's great. It worked. How do I do it? And I personally have never found the ability, not saying that you can't, but I, I haven't yet, on how you can take somebody from Facebook and make a direct sale immediately. I've always felt that uh, or seen that the only way that I got uh, the success from it was that I got them, I warmed them up, and then I created a fan, and then the fan bought the book. 
Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I found it great for leads, not so good for sales. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and leads was fine. Um, and then you've got things like Insta Freebie now, which actually generate a lead at a much lower price. Though, of course, they're freebie seekers. So there's there's all, there's all these things involved. Now, you presumably uh, are going to get involved in this. You just alluded to it there that you're writing some fiction. Is this the first ever Dave Chesson fiction? Yeah, it really is. Um, and I'm blessed because I have a, a lot of um, connections. I, I've done some consulting for Ted Decker, who's a multi New York Times bestseller. And so him and I have met a couple times over coffee and I, I still fan geek a little bit. I love his black series. Um, and I also did consulting for um, L. Ron Hubbard's book marketing. Uh, team. And um, so it, it's really cool to be able to have the support from those guys uh, and also to be able to kind of talk with some of the authors. But man, you know, fiction, that is just craft. I, I'm one of those guys who's absolutely in love with sci-fi. If you walked into my my office, you'd be like, wow, did you ever grow up, Dave? <laughs> and no, not really. Um, I got like my favorite comic books in and in a picture frame on the wall, like, you know, but um uh, so for me, there's a lot of great stories in there, but man, I really, really need to learn and, and the skill of writing and telling stories in fiction. And so I'm taking a very strong approach to, to learning it as much. So I'll, I'll be the first to tell you out there, I'm not a good enough writer to write fiction, but I'm working on it out of true passion. Do you have a deadline? Do you, do you have a, an aim, a, a line in the sand for when this thing's going to come out? No, no, but I'm trying to tell myself I'm going to get that first chapter out before April <laughs> because because <laughs> uh, I'll be speaking at the Young Fantasy and Sci-Fi Writers Conference in Hollywood uh, the first weekend of April, and I was told that I'll be on the stage with uh, Orson Scott Card for a roundtable. Um, and I don't know if you guys know who that is, but he wrote Ender's Game, which oh, is yes. my all-time favorite, yes, my all-time favorite book. So I get to like stand on the stage next to like my writing hero and I'm just I'm really fan geeking on that one. So I, I almost feel like I should have at least a first chapter written. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm working on it. So it feels like it's back to school for you then. You know, even though you're brilliant at doing the nonfiction, it's back to school for the fiction. Yeah. And, you know, the fiction is, is out of passion, but I can't wait to do the marketing. Uh, part of it. I love the marketing part of it and I've got whole big plans and I'll probably be chronicling and putting case studies uh, about that. The, but I'm what I want to do, though, is I will probably release the book as a um, as a pen name for the first year so that nothing influences the numbers. If I fail, I want people to know I failed and I'll have proof that I failed. But I don't want this to be that there's success because it's Dave Chesson. You know, because of Kindlepreneur, I want people to say, like, to be able to come back to that case study and say, wow, this worked without him being somebody with a big website or huge email list or connections. Right. Um, so it's almost in a way I'm like making it harder on myself, but I feel as though that will provide much better content. Like I said, I, it's kind of like being the crash test dummy for this. So we'll see. I've seen that you're down as a tentative speaker for 20 books to 50K in London, in the UK. Might we be seeing yes. you at this side of the pond? I'm really hoping so. I'm still in the reserves uh, for the U.S. Navy, and I may be doing an exercise in Korea at that time, but they haven't given me the dates yet. And so if I'm able to work it out, then I, I can't wait because there's so many people over there that I can't wait to meet, like yourself. And um, the guys that are doing the, the, the 20 books, I mean, they're phenomenal. I, I can't wait. I'll be at the Las Vegas one, and I really can't wait to listen to some of those speakers. Uh, look, if there's anybody out there on the internet that says that they know everything, just run away. I'll be the first to tell you I don't know everything, and I'm always learning because the internet's 
always changing. The book market is always changing. Hey, Amazon, they don't change much, but they do change. So we got to stay on top of our game. Thank you for listening to this week's self-publishing journeys. If you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your indie author friends. Or you can leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whichever podcast directory you use. In the meantime, you'll find previous interviews and all the show notes at selfpublishingjourneys.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll have more great self-publishing tips for you next week. <laughs>